Hi everyone, uh, welcome back to the Paramount Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome back to the show. Great to have you all here again. And uh, this week we have a returning guest. I can't remember how many times um, Jenna has been on the show now. Um, I'm pretty sure most of most of those times we talked about Taylor Swift. Uh, and it's going to be the same today. So welcome back to the show, Jenna DeWitt. Thanks, James. It's always good to be here. Yes, it is always Good to talk to you. Um, and today, well, today we're going to talk about two songs um, in relation to deconstruction. And one of them is a Taylor Swift song uh, called uh, You're Losing Me, which is from her latest album. Uh, one of them, one of the versions of Midnight's anyway. Um, not one that's a lot I've actually been able to get hold of yet, but I have managed to hear this, listen to the song anyway. Um, and the other one is a song called Faith by uh, Simla. Uh, so we're going to talk about, you said you wanted to talk about those like almost in conjunction with each other, correct? Is that, or in conversation yeah. with each other? So um, for those who aren't familiar with me, um, well, one, I think it would be wise to go back and listen to my previous episodes here because they really inform our conversation today. We're combining Taylor Swift and deconstruction and queerness like all into one conversation. So, um, but for those who don't know me, um, my name is Jenna DeWitt. My pronouns are she, her, and I am, of many things, um, a resource curator, writer, and editor at a website called Invisible Cake Society. And so um, part of what I do is helping queer people find acceptance in the church, but then also not having pressure on that to stay, but um, really being able to reconcile both sides of yourself as being queer and also being a Christian or having some sort of faith spirituality um, and then deconstructing from, or evolving. Um, out of the faith that told us that that was not okay or that those two things could not exist in co conjunction with each other. So I think these songs together really um, have a great conversation because you're losing me. We can really see that. There's a lot of metaphor here we're going to get into about leaving the church and how the church lost us, which is kind of a metaphor um, we've been using for a while of um, David Kinnaman wrote a book in 2012 called uh, You Lost Me, and it's all these different ways that people, um, particularly millennials, were walking away from the church, um, whether it's because we were still Christians and still believed in some sort of faith community but didn't believe the church was doing it correctly as an institution, or because we deconverted and lost our faith entirely, or it's because we kept our faith but um, felt ostracized from the church and kicked out of the church itself. Um, so there's all these different ways that you can leave. Um, but that's the you lost me metaphor is, is something that we've been talking about a lot in um, deconverting and, and um, deconstruction spaces for over a decade now. Um, so I think that's a really interesting thing to bring up with Taylor Swift, who probably isn't talking about that at all personally. I don't know, maybe she is. Um, and then Faith, which is very directly similar, like just exactly talking about this. Like there's no veiled metaphor here. Like similar is actually talking about what happens when your religion works against your queer liberation in Christ. What happens when Jesus is calling you out of what the church is saying you have to be. Um, so I, I think those two can really work together to put together a more complete picture of where we are, not just the church lost us and now we're doing our own thing, but also when um, we are still working for, we still have faith, we still are working in some way for queer liberation, um, whether that's through a Christian faith or some sort of, you know, spirituality on your own um, or different religion. Um, I, I think those are um, a more holistic picture of the conversation. 
Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, it's really interesting, isn't it, that one of the that one of the songs is kind of we don't we don't know if it's about that. It may not even may not be about uh, being written originally about that at all. And one of them specifically was, and yet both of them can speak to the same the same thing. Uh, exactly. Uh, and uh, I mean, I, I, I hadn't, I hadn't heard this song purely because it wasn't on any of the versions that I have. Uh, I don't think it's on, I don't think it's on Spotify yet, or 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 Apple Music even. So I haven't been able to listen to it. I listened to it today, and I was just, I was blown away by it. Really, um, I was like, where can I get hold of this song so I can put it on my playlists? Because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's um, I mean, the lyrics of this. I mean, I always look at the lyrics of songs anyway, but. Uh, it was like almost like my own story reading exactly yeah just even just reading the lyrics just it was just wow you know um yeah that it's like a it's like a tragedy in a song you know it's it's kind of trying to tell someone like you're losing me like like stop before you lose me completely like I'm, i'm kind of dying inside part of me is dying um just stop doing what you're doing because you're going to lose me if you keep doing this like kind of thing and it's yeah yeah well and even that first line so just it starts off with you say I don't understand like the other person is saying I don't understand and the singer is saying I know you don't understand and I think that's something that queer Christians especially have really had to reconcile whether we're talking to our pastors or our parents or friends or um, whoever in the church is like they don't get it. Like they will never understand what we're going through. And we have to say, I know, like, I know you're never going to get this. Um, we thought in time there would be a cure. Um, we thought that, you know, we, we look at this room and for me, that's not like an apartment. Like she's probably talking about an apartment sharing with a partner, but, um, I'm, or a, a house or, you know, whatever. Um, I'm thinking of it as a sanctuary. It's like thinking about sitting in a chapel or sitting in a sanctuary, and we loved the stained glass windows. We loved the light. We we just, you know, thought this was a beautiful place to be and to to love God and to worship. And now I sit in the dark and wonder if it's time. And time like time being, wonder if it's time for me to leave. Wonder if it's time for me to say goodbye. Wondering if this is never going to be a healthy place for me. Um, do I throw out everything we built or keep it? That seems pretty obvious like everyone's asking that question right now it's like do I throw out every, all this faith that I built you know there's a lot of building metaphors in faith like the cornerstones and building your house upon the sand or building your house upon the rock and we're going to come back to that metaphor um or do I keep it yeah yeah that's a that's a powerful line it's kind of a there's, there's a very much a kind of an either or in that kind of mm-hmm. and when actually kind of I guess that from my experience anyway of my deconstruction it's kind of in between it's like there's some things i want to keep there's some things i don't want to keep exactly yeah some things that i've let go of and it's just trying to figure out where do those things i where did i put those things that i kept like how do i express them how do i use them how do i engage with them how do i express like you know how do i interact with them all those like where do i find structure for these things so it's not the structure that I was in. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And if, I think the next line is so relatable too. This is, this one is like, oh, just, you know, put it on a poster on my wall, whatever, as I'm getting tired even for a Phoenix 
always rising from the ashes, mending all her gashes. You might have dealt the final blow. And like, I just, I relate to that so much with the church because queer Christians have tried so hard to reform it. We're rising from the ashes every time we're praying our, we're playing our pride ballads. We're like praying for revitalization and revival to come, which again, we're going to get that metaphor soon. But it's like, we're always rising. That that's part of what we do as as queer people is that we're always coming back from whatever. Um, but it's exhausting, and like we're always having to heal ourselves in our own community and heal from the church instead of finding healing in the church. Um, so when a church comes out and says like has there's a ton of denominational conferences going around around the U.S. right now, um, and some of them like my own are very affirming and moving more and more toward that, and then some of them are dealing final blows. Some of them are saying, we are never going to be affirming. We're strengthening the language that we do not accept LGBTQ people for ordination or for marriage or in any sort of, you know, real capacity. So I think there's a lot of people who are feeling that final blow right now um, in society. So, Mm. and then it gets into the chorus of you're losing me. I can't find a pulse. My heart won't start for anymore because you're losing me. Mm. And that's a, that's a powerful metaphor for me because I think a lot of, and probably for other people, because one of the things that can tend to happen is when you start getting hurt by these institutions is you start to numb things. You mm-hmm. start to just like get into survival mode and just like almost stop feeling. Um, and that's like not having a pulse. You're not feeling anymore. You're not, you're almost not living properly anymore because you're not, you're choosing not to, not to feel because it's, it's too painful to feel. It's too um, painful to feel like losing your pulse you know you're kind of because out of choice because out of necessity because some people have to do that to survive um and they shouldn't have to do that to survive uh but they find themselves in a place where they have to and yeah that line was really powerful for me when i when i when i first heard that it was um especially the way she sings it in the in the song actually it's quite you know like it's quite strong um i definitely resonated with that yeah, that rhythm kind of picks up there is my heart won't start anymore for and it's just like like is that slow like stop you're losing me is very like flowy and slow and then just pulse 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 in that rhythm. So she really does a great job of text painting with her uh, music that it goes along with this. So I'd highly encourage people to go look it up on YouTube or hopefully by the time this podcast releases she'll put it out on Spotify and Apple Music, but right now we're just having to uh look it up on um fan created stuff so (laughs) um but even then like talking about the pulse thing of like feeling sick I don't know about you James but and I'm sure many of your listeners relate to this I was physically ill when I would be in evangelical spaces being closeted like I could not keep going in those spaces anymore because not only was it making me mentally ill but it was also making me very physically ill i would get these anxiety so much the fact that like i started wondering if i had lactose intolerance or if i was you know if something that i was eating was making me sick or you know whatever because i would go into these evangelical spaces and feel my nausea of my stomach upset and like feeling um you know the anxiety symptoms of getting really hot or getting lightheaded and things. And it was a physical illness. Like, um, so when she says that, like, how can you not tell, like, how can you not see it that my face is gray, but you wouldn't admit that we were sick. Like we are crying out, like queer people are literally dying because of the exclusion of the church that Christian parents are kicking their teenagers out on the street. And that's what's causing a huge chunk of homelessness is, 
for LGBTQ people is it's not necessarily like, oh, well, being gay led to addiction. It's that like they were kicked out of their homes by Christian parents because their Christian parents said, we can't tolerate this kind of sin in our household. You, you can't live here if you're going to be trans, if you're going to be gay. Um, so there's like an actual illness going on in the church that the church is sick. And it's disgusting, honestly, is the word that comes to mind to think that um, people are seeing that as a purification process and not as a sign of impending death, that our faces are gray. We're biting our nails down to the quick. Like you're seeing all the signals, you're writing books about losing this generation. Like, you know, and there's a lot more to it than that. It's more complex than that. But honestly, the reputation of the church, even for straight millennials and Gen Z is, is really going, it's, it's going above and beyond and pulling its duty to lead us away. You know, <laughs> like yeah. there's, it's doing a big damage to its reputation, even for people who are not personally queer themselves. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, I've got to admit, I find it very difficult to go back into a church environment now. And that's not mm -hmm. because I don't have any spirituality or I don't have any, or Jesus isn't part of my life or Jesus isn't part of my spiritual journey or whatever, however he is uh it's 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 more that my my body will not let will not physically will not let me go into a place like that i um i'm sure the people who listen who listen to my story know this but you know i, I when i was when i was on the verge of leaving the, the last church, the kind of the the kind of evangelicalish kind of church i was in progressive evangelical it was kind of um I remember like the last year I was there, I couldn't go into the service. I physically couldn't go in. I was like, I didn't realize it at the time because I wasn't as aware of my own body as I, was, as I am now. But it was literally, my, I think it was essentially my body was like, I am not going in there because it is not safe for me. And I could not go in there. I just could not go in there. And it was, I tried to make myself go in there a couple of times and I, and I couldn't. I, I physically couldn't go in there. I had to sit outside. Um... And it took a while before people noticed, to be honest. People did notice in the end, but it took a long time. And, uh, you know, and I didn't even have the kind of um, the LGBTQ stuff to, to deal with, which um, people in our church would have struggled with. Because although they said they were an inclusive church, they kind of didn't let anyone who was LGBTQ get involved in any kind of leadership capacity at all. In fact, they, they moved someone out of leadership because they were LGBTQ. And that was one of the reasons I left. Um, so I, you know, uh, you know, it was it was very sad. But, um, but yeah, I, so I know that. I, I and I remember going to, and I've told this story before, but it's relevant. I went I went to another spiritual community, a kind of contemplative community, which is fully inclusive and much smaller and intimate and much healthier. And the next week I came back, and I remember my body all feeling my body all bound up and like tense and like like everything held in like and I was like oh my gosh I haven't been able to breathe here for months mm -hmm. and I only yeah. realized that because I was able to breathe out in the other the other space like it was just a safe, like a normal safe space I was like I haven't done this for months like what is going on and that's sometimes you had to go out of it just for one week just to realize how bad it was I didn't realize it was that bad and I was like, well, I have to go. I have to go soon because this is not good for my body. Um, yeah. And I can't imagine what it's like for people who are experiencing, you know, um, prejudice and 
you know, homophobia and things like that as well. It must be, it must be 10 times worse. Yeah. And I love that you referred to the breath too, because the next line she says in the pre-chorus is like, the air is thick with loss and indecision and my pain is such an imposition. And God, like, isn't that true of like, we're the canary in the coal mines. Like the canaries literally would faint. They would, they would pass out in the coal mines when the air got too toxic. And I just feel like so many of us, whether we're really sensitive or neurodivergent or um, disabled or BIPOC or queer, like these areas of marginalization, even specifically as women, when we're pointing out like, hey, there's something toxic going on here. Um it physically, like literally becomes hard for us to breathe in those spaces. Um, but then also metaphorically, like the air is thick with loss and indecision of like, there's so much grief here. Do, can I even afford to stay? Like physically, is my health going to be able to stay mentally? Can I stay emotionally safe and healthy in this environment? And often the answer is no. Um, and then we try to change the church and we try to raise awareness about abuse and sexism. We try to raise awareness about how, you know, queer liberation and anti-racism and everything are going to make the church stronger and better. Um, but all those symptoms that made those things intolerable and, and imposition um, mm. are the things that they're going to end up losing us by. And and she says at the end, like, well, you don't know what you got until it's gone. And so yeah. all of these, the women and the queer people and the disabled people and neurodivergent, like we're all going to you know, find other safer places, whether that's in mm-hmm. the church or not. And then they're going to go, Huh, why did they all leave? It must be because they're selfish. It must be because they want to sin. It must be because mm-hmm. church isn't entertaining enough for this little fickle generation. And so they put all this blame on someone else. Um, but then they're yeah. they're just gonna like age out. They're just gonna sit there like wondering where what happened, you know? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I mean the running down the hallway thing line was resonant for me because mm. the we are the church I was at met, met in a school. Mm. So the entrance lobby was the hallway of the school, and of course, um, the actual church meeting was in the big was in the hall. Mm-hmm. And so, but the end, but it was like so when it's like running down the hallway, it's like like that. That kind of gave me an image of that hallway where I used to stand outside and sit outside while the service mm-hmm. was going on and all of that. And anyway, yeah, so it was really resonant. So, oh yes, I don't know how Taylor does it, but. Uh, Uh, (laughs) well you know what taylor is best at right yes the the bridge so that was so funny to me and so some of those cities she's gone to she's on a huge huge tour right now which we've now decided is a world tour she's going on some international dates but um so um one of the bridges i think it was in nashville like lit up and they were like it's the taylor swift bridge because you know It's like her bridges. Like we have the best bridges in this fandom. It didn't mean like the literal bridges in the cities. It meant like, of course, her songs. But it's a funny little pun there. Um, So uh, says, how long can we be a sad song till we were too far gone to bring back to life? I gave you the best me's, my endless empathy, and all I did was bleed as I tried to be the bravest soldier. So I'm going to pause there and say, like, this war imagery is really the thing that got me endless empathy. My best, like. Just like how many times we've heard people on this podcast say, like, I did my best. I was, it's not that I fell away from church because I wasn't very good at church or because I was a slacker. I fell away from church because I was the perfectionist. I was the best Christian soldier. I had all of the little, little stars and the, you know, the Bible trivia and everything. And like we were in it. Like we had big questions that nobody could answer. And so we often, 
give our everything. We give our empathy. We give all of our time and energy. And all we do is bleed as we try to be these little Christian soldiers that are raised for God's army. Absolutely. Yeah, I thought of that of that kind of terminology when I read that that line because it's kind of you know they had a kind of blood and armies and like you know because you're kind of told you're in God's army and you know fighting his battles and you know um all that kind of thing so that that language is resonant for anyone who's been in a church yeah. <laughs> um, well in yeah. this next part I think is important because this is where we start to reclaim our agency. So in the rest of the song, like she's so far been saying like retrospectively, like this is what happened past tense. Like, is it time for me to leave? And now she says, fighting and only your army front lines. Don't you ignore me. I'm the best thing at this party. You're losing me. And then she, she goes in a little bit more, but I guess what there is like, the don't you ignore me of like, I am making a demand on you now. I'm the best thing at this party and you are the one who is responsible for losing me. I could have been something great for you. I could have fought on your front lines. I was always doing this, but I'm demanding more from you. And I think that's where we start to reclaim our agency as we go to the church and say like, listen, I've done my best here. You are the one who's responsible for losing me, not the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really, really important because like you've like hinted at, sometimes churches want to take want to blame you make you mm-hmm. the kind of the martyr they're the victim you know you're the problem not me <laughs> yeah another taylor swift lyric actually from another song um well no it's not actually it's i'm the problem i can't remember anyway it sounds like a taylor swift lyric anyway but uh <laughs> yeah they want to make us they want to make us the problem rather than them you know and you know when you see churches losing a lot of people at once it's like well do you really think it's the problem with the people who are leaving or it's that there's a problem with the actual place that they're leaving, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, I mean, that happened to me. The, the, the place that I left, a lot of people left before and after me. Uh, and people that I knew and were friends with, they all left, you know. And so, which, was very, which is very interesting. And they couldn't figure out why. And, you know, I've never said why. Well, I know why. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, it, it's not. We shouldn't shame ourselves for choosing to leave if we yeah. leave. And that's what's so sad with the next line. It's like, I wouldn't marry me either, a pathological people pleaser. And I think that's very true. But it also gets into what we we're talking about with the Enneagram 3. Mm. Is like, for those who did not listen to my previous episode, like I told you to. Um, <laughs> um, so Taylor is a major Enneagram 3. We can totally see this coming out. And I, I think that is especially apparent in these lines here um, in a devastating way of like recognizing our own flaws. So it's not that we don't have any flaws. It's not that we don't have anything to contribute to this. But um, in the context of this conversation, we're going to skip over that a little bit because it is absolutely not your fault that the church refuses to marry you. Um, And marry in a, uh, both in a metaphorical way of like as the bride of Christ, but then also like marry in a different way of that the church is refusing to marry queer couples. um, And it absolutely should. Like that's not part of the metaphor that we're talking about, just to be absolutely clear. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we do jump back in with who only wanted you to see her. And I'm fading, thinking, do something, say something, lose something, risk something, choose something. I got nothing to believe unless you're choosing me. And that is my cry for the church right now is say something, risk, 
lose, choose, because like we need you. We need you to step up. We need allies. We need a loud, outspoken affirmation. We need clarity. We need you to risk something. Mm, absolutely, that is a real. That is a really powerful. I mean, yeah, it's a powerful end end to the song. It's like it. It really is a story. Again, it's a story like like Taylor Swift songs all are. It's a story. Um, we're getting to the end of the story, and it's like, look, I'm, you know, I've been giving you a chance to keep me. I've been giving you a chance to you know, fight for me to stay. I've been telling you that things are getting bad, and I might leave. Like, I haven't, you know this, and you know that it's not my fault. Like, if you don't do something, I'm going to go, and I'm actually now I'm going, I'm going because you haven't mm-hmm. done anything, and I'm going mm-hmm. to fight for myself um, and my identity and my and my wholeness and my healing, like. Uh, if you won't do it, I will. <laughs> like, um, yeah, that's exactly it. And it's kind of that rallying cry you talk about. Yeah. And then she ends with, I've got nothing to believe unless you're choosing me. And I think that that's really like the church's testimony, how it dramatically affects our faith as a whole. Part two. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> then we're going on to... Uh, uh, faith. Right. So here's where we get into that part. She opens with, or they, sorry, similar, they uh, opens with a uh, quote from Billy Graham saying, and it's a recording, um, saying, Jesus Christ, who are you? And that's like, that's the question. And so we set up the song with, this is directly talking about Jesus now, like this is absolutely a Christian song, um, but from a queer artist. Um, and similar says, when my religion turned against me, they said my hopes and dreams were faulty. And I showed the holes inside my hands and they claimed they couldn't see. So we're absolutely, definitely the holes inside the hands are definitely talking about the crucifixion and saying like, we showed them how the church was hurting us. And we told them about our hopes and dreams for queer liberation. And they claimed they couldn't see how they were hurting us. Mm, yeah. So, And not just hurting, but yeah. crucifying, you know. Crucifying, which is, yeah. Which is, you know, torture. Um, mm-hmm. And and can kill people. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. There's very real death. Yeah, mm. yeah, on their hands. So I've been walking with a blindfold, told the toward the promise of revival, but it's not the one you preach. It's the one we actually need. Um, we are preaching queer liberation. We are preaching queer liberation for everybody, collective liberation, intersectional liberation. But that's not what the church is preaching. Um, even though it's the one we need. So we're singing along with all the worship songs that's saying hallelujah. We're claiming freedom and everything, but like we mean different things when we say the word freedom and when we say the word peace. And so I really appreciate how they're talking about that, that um, yeah, like we're doing the same motions, but like, that's not, that's not what we, we are trying to do. Like we're not on the same page. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I mean, that's powerful. It's powerful. You know, there's, there's like there's this there's people there's two there's like groups in the church each of whom have their own idea of what liberation and freedom and you know um is and identity and you know and one of them is actually causing harm to the other mm-hmm. um without realizing it and yeah but both are kind of both kind of want to Want, almost not looking for the same thing, but they're looking for. They think they're looking for the same thing, 
you know, they're both kind of wanting to follow Jesus. They're both wanting to um, be part of a church. They're both, you know, but their perception of what that is is completely different. And one for one of them, it's 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 harmful. Um, yeah. And the other, and it's the other the other half that we are the the other group that suffer in the end. Um, yeah, which is really sad. Yeah. And the chorus goes that I still have faith when you call my name. And we're assuming the you is Jesus, because then after this, they have the Billy Graham, uh, Jesus Christ, who are you question again. Um, so when you call my name, never been the same. I still have faith. How you comfort me when they come for me, call that mercy. And like, like they're calling it mercy when they're coming out for us saying like, oh, we just want to love you into repentance and you need to know the truth and we're doing a good thing by preaching and not leaving you in your sin. Um, but we have this other perception of Jesus, of who Jesus is, how he's called us out of that. Um, and we still have the faith. We still have that. Like you don't have to choose, do we tear all down we have built, like Taylor was saying, of like, do we tear down everything or do we stay? you know, we can have the faith that Jesus is not the same thing as these people who are telling us they don't want us. Um, and then someone goes back to talking about uh, the church, direct, directly addressing the church, saying, don't pretend like you don't know me. Don't pretend I'm not your body. I'm your friend. I'm your kin. Why won't you let me end? So it, it's just that, again, we have that like imperative of like that talking directly to the church saying, you know, I'm, I'm the, I was the best Christian scolder. I was the best thing at this party. Don't you ignore me. Don't pretend like you don't know me. Don't pretend I'm not your body as in the body of Christ. I'm your kin. I'm your family in the body of Christ. And I, I think that ties in so well with the bridge from Taylor song of don't you ignore me. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I, I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's that whole, the metaphor of the body is always a powerful one for me. It's like part of your body is hurting and part of your body is telling you that it's hurting and that you're doing damage to that part of the body and you're not listening. You're just doing more damage. And it's mm -hmm. like, it's tragic because you're kind of killing the whole, if you're harming one part of the body, you're going to harm the rest of it as well. It's, you know, because it's all, the body is, is one, it's connected. And yeah. You can't do damage to one part of the body without the the rest of it being affected. Mm -hmm. As Taylor was saying, like, how do you not notice that I was sick? Because I'm part of your body. Like, I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm your kin. Mm, absolutely. So, yeah. And then she goes into, or sorry, similar goes into, uh, you with power lend an ear. You with power lend a hand. What a lovely house you've built. What a shame it's made of sand. And so I was talking about earlier, like I said, oh, we'll get back to that metaphor of building things. And like, here it is, is the house they've built is um, there's this parable um, about a house built on a rock that doesn't uh, wash away in the storm. But the house that's made of sand or the house that's built on sand washes away um, when hard times come or when things test our faith. Um, and so it's interesting that the sand is queer phobia in this metaphor pretty clearly. I mean, maybe maybe similar will listen to this and, and correct any of my assumptions about their work, but um, it just seems like the church looked so beautiful and there's so much power there that they could do so much good, risk something, choose something. We're getting, you know, getting back into that uh, Taylor song of, of you, could, you could do so much good if only you would take a risk, if only you would lose something, um, if you have the power to 
to do it, um, build your house on something that's going to last, which is, of course, love and empathy and inclusion and liberation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Because you're building it or they're building it on division and hatred and prejudice and fear and, you know, they're not solid foundations to build any kind of relationship or any kind of community. You can't have healthy community when you've got all those things in play and when you've got power dynamics at play, which are unhealthy power dynamics. They're not, they're yeah. not um, egalitarian. They're not, you know, equal. They're not inclusive. Um, uh, they are hierarchical and often patriarchal as well. And that's not healthy um, in terms of having a healthy body having a healthy community. Exactly. And it's not a lack of God's power. So someone then says, our God is good and able. Our God is flipping tables of the mess of love we made. And so it's like, yeah, like I, I genuinely, it sounds really arrogant to say, but I genuinely do think God is on our side. In fact, God created this side. God created us for liberation. God created us queer. God made us, you know, BIPOC and disabled and neurodivergent and all of these marginalizational um, intersections that get excluded from the church. Um, so, yeah, it's not that God doesn't have the power. God is good and able to do it. We've just got to actually, you know, <laughs> be the church. We've got to be the hands and feet of Christ and like put that love into action. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's it. Yeah. Um... Yeah, because you know God, the divine, is on is in. He's on the side of love and justice and inclusion and liberation, um, and and the oppressed, and always he's always on the side of those people and um, and of those you know causes. And so, when it comes to queer liberation, he's on the side of the people who want to be liberated. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, yeah. um, and I feel this more now because being demisexual and acknowledging that as a queer identity, I, I'm part of this now. So I, I'm part of that 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 community of who are fighting for liberation, and that I I feel that very deeply. I feel like that responsibility as well, like and how important it is. And yeah, there's no question, you know. I mean, it's not. I don't think, and I know it could say you could say it sounds arrogant to claim that God is on our side, kind of thing, because it's a thing that a lot of people say. I just think that God is on the side of everyone who's everyone who's oppressed and is fighting for liberation. Exactly, and, yeah. And in this and queer people are doing that. You know, we are yeah, doing if, that. If I were to rephrase it, um, this is something that I've been really cautious about this week, is I would actually say it is my life duty to be on God's side and I am aspiring to ally with God as best I can. And so it's not necessarily that I think that God is on my side, but rather the other way around is that like I am aspiring to be on God's side the best I can be. Um, and even in, for example, I was part of the annual conference for um, the California United Methodists, and we had some, they said a real talk was the name of the sessions. And it was these um, women of color and men of color that were clergy and uh, lay leaders. And um, we had some Native American leaders speaking up. Um, and it's, like we think we're of ourselves as a church about justice. We think of ourselves as a conference that's, oh, uh, well, we're so much better than these other ones because we're not even worried about women pastors. Like that's obviously like, well, of course we have women pastors. Like our bishop is a woman. So like we're so much better than everybody else. But 
honestly, we have a long way to go when it comes to making sure that marginalized pastors are not being assigned to the lowest paying churches and making sure like cultural connections across those things are not just limited to anti-racism, but also intersectional with disability justice of if your pulpit is inaccessible because you never conceived that a pastor could potentially be a wheelchair user or that a wheelchair user could be a lay leader, like why not? Like what, what held you back? What ableism are you assuming? Or what, um, you know, internalized queer phobia, even if you are affirming in like theory in your, in your policies, but then you have your first queer pastor, even if racism problem, even if it's like, of course, we're an all Hispanic church. We've always had Hispanic pastors. And now this is another Hispanic pastor, but she has a wife this time. That's like, oh, we thought we were really inclusive, but all of our, like our, everything we had formed around it was a pastor's wife for a husband, you know, <laughs> like for a man. And it's like, oh, it didn't occur to us that like a male pastor could have a husband and there's not a pastor's wife in this situation if the male pastor has a husband. Or, you know, just like all these intersections of we don't want to get too arrogant of thinking that we are the good ones and God is aligning himself with us. It's very much the other way around of like, we have to try really hard that even if we've got women pastors down or whatever, that like, we're still not tolerating sexism in our churches and, and all of those sort of things. So. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Absolutely agree with that. That, 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 that way around, you know, it's, you know, are we, are we, because when you get to that point where you think you've got everything right, then you're in trouble. Like, yeah, you know, you need to kind of always be, striving to be better striving for more inclusion more equality like and not complacency and that it true and that it's not just that it's not just in name only that it's not just Mm -hmm. for appearances sake that it's actually true equality and inclusion and and representation and um and that's a ongoing an ongoing battle i guess you know it's uh yeah. yeah And that's a two-sided question. I think we have to recognize um, with this bridge of mercy like I never knew, but I don't want to keep quiet just to keep you. Come back to that in a second. I call that mercy like I've been in bloom, but I don't want to get small to be in these rooms. I think that's a two-sided question when we look at where am I keeping quiet to keep God or keep church? Where am I being small to be in the room? Where am I making myself small? Where am I taking up the least amount of space or air or volume in the room so I can stay there and and, and be called good and be that people pleaser, you know, <laughs> be, be that um, best Christian soldier, you know, good, good little girl. Um, but then I also think the second part of that question is who feels like that in our spaces? Who feels like they have to keep quiet to keep their credibility? Who feels like they are making themselves small because we are making them feel small? Or who has the misconception that they are supposed to feel small when we want them to be their authentic selves and bloom? So I, I think we have to reconcile with that of that, you know, it's not only our own things holding us back, but then also who else in our congregations or in our churches or in our companies or spaces or organizations might be feeling like they have to be small and quiet to have our approval. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very true. I do want to go back to this line that says, I don't want to keep quiet just to keep you because there's another Taylor Swift song four years later that is really blowing up the charts right now. And that's Cruel Summer. 
And so Cruel Summer has absolutely nothing to do with faith or deconstruction or any of this. But there is a line that says, um, I don't want to keep secrets just to keep you. And that isolated line alone, it seems like a really queer line. <laughs> just like, that's a very relatable thing of like having to be in the closet um, just to, you know, keep, se- you have to choose to keep a secret um, when somebody is in the closet. Um, but I just think that I don't want to keep quiet just to keep you in a similar song reminds me so much of Cruel Summer that, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a, that's similar as themselves is, you know, like a, a kind of making that allusion, I guess, to Taylor, whether they intended to or not. Um, but I don't want to keep quiet just to keep Jesus um, because that's not really who Jesus is. And and that's um, in between those lines is just to keep you. And then between that and I call that, um, they have that Billy Graham things play again. Jesus Christ, who are you? Who are you? Um, so very clearly, we've got this Jesus illusion here and this um, we've received mercy and we've received a calling. We've see, received faith, you know, but we're also in rooms where we feel like we have to be small. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, yeah. And and that's quite that's sad because we should be free to be who we are and own who we are and say who we are without fear and, you know, without shame and without, you know, consequence. Um or harmful consequences anyway um yeah absolutely and yeah i mean it's it's really interesting we've gone through these two songs and they're, they're, they're both saying so much in different ways and mm-hmm. um and how you know how that res- how the how they resonate there's so many things so many so much creative work coming out of that right now that that resonates with these with these deconstruction journeys, right? And with 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 you know with with queer liberation and with identity and owning who you are. Like there's so much of that is resonating, or maybe it's always been there, but we're just we're noticing it a lot more because it's relevant to a lot of people right now, um, mm-hmm. and both of us. Um, and it's it's just just really really powerful, and I think. I guess for me, art is a really good way of connecting with my own story and healing. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you do you find that as well? I think music is essential for me. Um, processing emotions, processing um, you know so what's going on in my own body, embodiment, um, but then especially processing my faith. I think. And, and of course, like I said, like seeing that not just in Christian music, but seeing it specifically in Taylor Swift music or or in other pop or just like pull out those one or two lyrics. Um, there's a Halsey song, which is like absolutely nothing to do with religion, but she does have that line of if you're going to fight, then do it for me. And of course, they're talking about a relationship and conflict in a relationship. But I just thought of that driving home from church of like, yeah, like if the church wants to fight a war of good Christian soldier in the Lord's army kind of thing, like if you're going to fight, fight for me, don't fight against me. Don't fight against queer liberation. Don't fight against inclusion of all of God's children. Like do it. There is definitely a fight that needs to go on, but you need to be fighting on the correct, like like, like way of doing it of like fighting for inclusion fighting for empathy fighting for all these marginalized intersections so um yeah absolutely harness that anger but um it shouldn't be anger at marginalized people it should be fighting on our behalf absolutely agree yeah 
Yeah, this has been another great episode. I always love doing episodes with you. You always have such great insight, and I I, I always learn from you. So, um, thank you. Um, Thanks, James. I appreciate that I have a fellow Swifty that can like uh, relate to my ways of relating to Taylor Swift. So, again, who those who have not listened to my previous episodes, even though I told you you should, this is the second time now. Uh, (laughs) So, I'm aromantic and asexual, as well as being sapphic in my queerness, and so often I can't relate to some of these lyrics that are about romance or about sex, but I can relate to them in other ways, whether it's about friendship or whether it's about um, my relationship with the church, because there is so much there in that metaphor of that relationship with. God and with the church that um, we really can see that whether it's in My Tears Ricochet or, you know, (laughs) all these other songs, there's, you know, um, I could do a whole back on that song. Oh my God. Like the metaphors in that, in that song, like, um, and superhero metaphors as well in that song as well. I've got got this, like, I always think of Smallville when I hear that song and the relationship between Lex and Clark in that, in that show. Um, Yeah. It's kind of like, best friends who become enemies and yeah and even in the documentary i think about um the one on Dis- the one on disney plus i can't remember what it's called now the folklore documentary she yeah. taylor talks about about like superheroes like and in a kind of more broad sense but i think she's i think what she's referring to is that show because it uh, that's what i that's certainly where i what i got from that anyway but um anyway yeah um so there's so many i mean we could literally do a podcast on loads of taylor songs and i'm sure we will (laughs) yes (laughs) well there's so much there to learn from as recovering perfectionists as recovering achievers that like stop earning your worth like you need places to belong where you can just rest where you can be your whole self and you don't have to prove your value you don't have to prove that you're a good person or a worthwhile person or deserving of mercy um but that are there are people who are really fighting for you instead of making you fight against them to stay. They want you to stay small. They want you to stay quiet. Um, but instead finding those affirming churches or those affirming organizations or um, places where queer, queer people like you can gather um, that are going to risk something for you. They're going to lose something. They're going to say, speak up when it is risky to them to do so. Um, and that you can join in them you join with them and protecting more marginalized people than you, because there's always going to be somebody who has it worse than you do. So instead of playing oppression Olympics and competitiveness, like it doesn't need to be about comparison. It needs to be about all collectively joining together for liberation. Um, So I, I think that these, you know, whether you're using these as songs about your own relationship or breakup or whatever, um, you can also apply them to your faith and you can apply them. Um, and please go listen to Simler's music as well about being queer and Christian and all of the things that we have to risk and lose, um, the grief that comes with that, but then also the great joy. Um, Simler also has a song that says, I'm effing gay and thank God for that. And they really genuinely mean it. Like it is not just to be subversive. It's not just to poke fun at religion. Like it, gen- like they genuinely mean like, I am so grateful that God made me so incredibly queer that I could be here singing these songs with all of these wonderful people, you know, that are in this community. And it truly is such an incredible community of resilience and of hope and of, of faith despite all odds and true community care. So um, I, and I, I just say, uh, there, if you're queer out there and you don't know these places and you're trying to wonder whether you stay or you go, um, there, there really is good community out there on the internet um, or in your local communities for um, affirming church spaces. So 
Mm. I highly recommend giving Jenna a follow on Twitter. She does a lot of, uh, sorry, yeah, she does a lot of um, a lot of advocacy there. Talks a lot about all these things. Um, has a has a lot of, shares a lot of resources as well that you can that you can connect with, um, and share some of her own work as well, which is really really great. So, um, and your and your site is um, the Invisible Cake Factory. Society, yeah. So it's invisible because um, asexuality, and then also just like in general, neurodivergence and disability, and a bunch of um, intersections are often invisible to our society. Um, But then cake is also an asexual metaphor of like we'd rather have sex than cake. But it's just like who doesn't love cake? I know that one. Yeah, Yeah. it's like (laughs) so. It's like you. There's a treat there too. You're not. It's not just sadness. It's also a great joy. Um, And then a society meaning that it's not just me. Like it's only me publishing to that website, but I'm also talking to Becca McNeil about how to do affirming parenting. I'm talking to um, allosexual, non-asexual or aromantic people about how they have relationships with their um, aromantic or asexual spouses. And so it's like all of these resources are coming in from that I haven't read, but they're just from other people who have said, this is what worked for me when I became affirming. This is what worked for me to accept my queerness. I'm curating resource lists full of other people's videos, articles, essays, uh, you know, websites, podcasts, everything, um, so that, you know, you have them at your disposal. It's, it's a, a whole group of people that are behind this that, um, yeah, sure, it's just me publishing. I own the website, but um, I am fed by a huge community of people that I could not do this alone, you know, well, without them. So. I'm really grateful for, for you and for the work you do and uh, keep it up. And do give it a follow, everyone. It's, it's so worth it. And uh, also yeah. go and listen to Jenna's other episodes because they're really cool too. <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah. As we've said. Because well, I was there as well. <laughs> like, yeah. So Twitter um, is Jenna underscore DeWitt um, on Twitter and then InvisibleCakeSociety.com on WordPress. Fantastic. Give it, yeah. Give those things a follow. Um, well, thanks, Jenna. I'm sure you'll be back again. Um, I'm sure. Uh, but we'll just have to wait and see when Taylor drops something next. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and thanks for listening, everybody.